This week, we go down to Corpus Christi, where a woman loves her man to death. Welcome to episode five of our Survivor Story series. Hey everyone, we are finally back podcasting, kind of. Um, Cassie's not here, it's just me back doing the uh, old Survivor stories that we haven't done in a minute. Um, But yeah, Cassie and I are going to meet up uh, around the 15th to start recording again, 15th of April, just to clarify. Kind of get back to a normal schedule and releasing episodes on a regular basis. Um, Long story short, we tried to start a series on child sexual abuse and pedophiles and the psychology um, you know, of the paraphilia itself. But the first episode we recorded was all sort of like flea, f- flea fro, wow, free flow conversation. And it turned out fairly messy and weird, just like how I sound right now. So we decided this, you know, wasn't really our thing. And if anything, now we're just a little more educated on the subject and can maybe contribute more to the individual cases when we discuss them in the future. But basically, there is no series. We didn't really lie. We tried. We suck. You guys all know that, Um, but we are sorry we were gone for so long, especially since it was kind of all for naught, Um, but we have really been pretty busy, though. We're not just gone for any bullshit reason. Um, Since the beginning of February, we've both been going through a lot of changes. Cassie's moving into a new house, so we will have a second podcast room and Halloween decorations up year-round. Um, I took a trip to New Orleans for my birthday, ate a lot of stuff. I changed jobs like 18 million times. Wow. It's been a minute since I've podcasted, obviously. Um, Anyway, uh, Cassie's birthday is coming up on the 5th, so be sure to wish her a happy birthday. And then, um, yeah, no one cares, so it's cool. But yeah, 15th, April 15th, we're going to be talking about murder and all the things as usual. So we'll just, I really need to figure out how to speak English as my first language. Anyone else? All right. This survivor story is really interesting. Lots of twists. It's not super sad or anything like the ones I've done before, um, but it does start out pretty bad. It just gets crazier and crazier. Um, So we'll just go ahead and start talking about it. I took caffeine pills today. I'm really sorry. All right. So um, this actual story itself was featured on a few different shows. Um, I first saw it on I Survived, obviously, and then I wanted more information. So I was Googling it and then I saw an episode of Snapped and then Murder Calls, which Murder Calls, if you guys don't watch that show, it's fucking great. It's like obviously exactly what it sounds like. It's the recordings, the 911 recordings. But it's so funny because like all three of these shows have different concepts of like what angle they go at the story from, you know, and it's really interesting when I read like the descriptions of the, you know, information of like what the episode was about because everyone sort of plays on different aspects of the crime. So it's pretty funny how these things can just be regurgitated in different shapes and forms um, for entertainment purposes. Anyway, this is just another form of regurgitation. Here we go. Oh, my God, I've got to not take these pills anymore. Um, Okay, so this story is about Alberto Benitez. It takes place in 2003, uh, way down south in Corpus Christi, like I said in the intro. I need to, never mind, it's fine. Uh, I actually used to know a girl named Christy Corpus. I think Cassie knows her too. Have we talked about this already? I don't know. Maybe I've mentioned it before, but her parents clearly had a rough sense of humor knowingly putting their child through that. And also, I mean, say it with me, 
forensic files. Oh my God, can you hear Kane barking? He says hi. Okay, it's the late 90s. Al's married. He's working as a border patrol officer, and he was actually a very well-established canine handler. Um, a little history on him. His father actually spent like 45 years in law enforcement. Um, his dad was also like the first Hispanic officer, uh, police officer in Leesville, uh, their police department, which is kind of closer to San Antonio, evidently. But basically, you know, law enforcement ran in the family. He definitely looks like a cop, too. No mustache, though, which is odd. Um 2003, when this whole incident occurs, Al has eventually kind of shifted from law enforcement and he was actually just teaching criminal justice at a community college in Kingsville, which is about 45 minutes outside of Corpus. Um, So now for necessary backstory, let's rewind a few years prior to when Al's sister, Linda, uh, introduced him to a woman named Elizabeth Reynolds. Elizabeth was from Kingsville and was a psychology student and had a pet sitting business of her own while she was attending school, which sounds super fun. She was a little shy and reserved in comparison to Al, who everyone kind of really seemed to enjoy being around. He was just super friendly, easygoing guy, kind of life at the party, but just really chill as well. Um, Both Al and Elizabeth were in the middle of getting a divorce from their current spouses. So the relationship as a couple moved slowly, but eventually they did get serious. Um... For Elizabeth, it was a bit more serious than it was for Al. So again, um, August 9th, police get a call from Al Benitez saying he's been shot. He requests a halo flight, which is basically like being airlifted. I've never heard the term halo flight before, but that doesn't mean anything. Um, Being airlifted to a hospital in a helicopter, okay? So in one of the shows, um, they actually interview the helicopter pilot that, you know, took him over to the hospital And he says that they landed in Al's front yard, like landed the helicopter there. And Al told him, you know, when he got him loaded up in the helicopter, he was like, take me to the trauma center. And the pilot was like, I've never had a patient or a victim or whatever, you know, say that verbatim. So he was like, are you a doctor? Like to Al, he was like, who are you? What is your occupation? And he was like, no, I'm a cop. And I, I need you to find Elizabeth. She's gone. They took her. Please, please find Elizabeth. So at this point, Now we know Elizabeth has been kidnapped. This is what Al believes happened. And she's been taken by the guy that has shot Al. And so she's still missing. Al is now in a coma from his injuries. So investigators start working the scene at the house and trying to get a lead on who tried to kill Al and who has taken Liz. Um, They gather fingerprints, blood, DNA samples, all that stuff. They notice that the house is totally a wreck. The front door has been almost completely taken off the hinges and banged in. It was a wooden door and it's just in shreds like it's all fucked. Clearly a major struggle. Um, Investigators begin to look at sort of the cop angle as their first lead. You know, they realize that Al could have had a hit put out on him, um, possibly from the cartel or a drug related situation because of his affiliation with, you know, the border and being in border patrol and drug trafficking. So he probably made some enemies, you know, along the way. And this theory is actually really plausible because this was kind of a fun little tidbit that wasn't in each show, but evidently a local paper in the area did kind of a cover story on Al and his dog that was his, you know, canine cop friend or whatever. 
And um, there was this really cool picture of them like mid training and a you know decent sized story written about them. And I guess the same week that that came out, you know, everyone saw it, read it, blah, blah, blah. There was a $50,000 bounty put out on Al and then a separate $50,000 bounty put out on his fucking dog. So it obviously wasn't beneath someone to go take this guy out because of his affiliation with the law. And that's really all police had to go on at this point. However, the police would actually catch a break very early on, almost an hour into the investigation, in fact. And this is when Elizabeth Reynolds, she just drives right up to the police station in Al's car. She's in a panic and she has a hell of a story to tell. Um, She sits down with the police and says that that night, um, the night prior to this shooting, um, she stayed with Al at the house. She left early in the morning to go check on her dogs that, um, you know, were still at her pet sitting business. But she wanted to come back to send Al off because he was making kind of a long drive to Laredo that morning and she wanted to be sure to say goodbye to him and, you know, whatever. So she came back to the house real quick after she let the dogs out. And she, you know, sits down, makes Al breakfast, whatever, coffee. And while they were kind of talking about his trip and all the stuff he was going to do that day, they hear a loud banging on the front door. And when Al answered the door, he yells at Liz to go into the back bedroom and hide. She runs back there. She hears all these gunshots. And when she can't hear anything anymore, like a dumb fuck, she creeps out into the house and she's met with a gun in her face and forced out to Al's car. Okay, I don't in the show again. Oh, my God. It's like she comes out. She's like, Al, Al, like no one would do that. That's just so stupid. Anyway, first red flag. Uh, so the shooter forces her to drive off and leave the scene, pushing the gun into her neck as she drives away. So it's like he's in control. She's just got to do whatever he says. And then she tells police that all of a sudden the man just kind of jumps out of the car when she's just driving full speed ahead. And she was just like, what the fuck just happened? She thought like, you know, whatever. He was worried about the cops they were passing and the fact that, you know, she's driving towards town and he just bolted. She gave a good description of what he looked like and, you know, said that he was a big guy. He was wearing all black. He had a ski mask and his shirt had flames on the front and the sides. So now the cops have a bit of a lead with this shooter description. Um, But meanwhile, you know, Al's still in a coma. He dies several times on the ER table. But after three days, he finally wakes from his coma. Um, He's been shot six times. Five in his torso, one in his arm, and then there's bullet fragments that had also made their way to his other arm is what he says in his interview. Um, He lost the majority of his colon and small intestine. His liver and spleen were severely injured, and he lost about a third of his left kidney. And to top it all off, two bullet fragments are forever lodged in his spine, but he is not paralyzed. Um, It takes him a long time to recover, but um, he's able to pull through. Um, And after some time, investigators, you know, they need to talk to Al and get his side of the story. So he says, you know, when I'm he's laying in bed, he's still kind of out of it. But they handed him a yellow legal pad to write on and, you know, asked him to kind of describe the attack. So this is his version of the day. Al said he woke up around 6 a.m., showered, shaved, then was getting ready, you know, having coffee, whatever. And he heard banging on the front door. He answers it because he actually thinks it was a cop friend playing a joke on him. So in every episode, I need to stop referencing these shows, but whatever. uh, He recalls that the banging sounded like, you know, the bang, 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 like the drug raid knock. And um, he said this was kind of actually a prank 
this is like classic cop humor, you know, uh, that these cops would pull on each other from time to time. They would, I don't know, bang on the door and try to scare their friends. I don't know, whatever. He didn't really go into it, but it sounds pretty lame. Anyway, he answered the door and thinking it was his friend and he, I guess, didn't have a peephole, but he said there was a huge guy there pointing a gun at his face and he went to reach for his gun and realized not only did he not have it on his belt yet, he hadn't put it on that morning, but he also didn't have a cell phone on him either. So he slams the door and attempts to kind of barricade himself inside and prevent the man from entering. But he said that all of a sudden it was quiet. The banging had just stopped entirely. He paused kind of for a short minute. And then he said that this is when he realizes that he's been shot three times in the back. He said he didn't hear the shots at all. He just smelled gun smoke, tasted metal from the blood in his mouth. And he realizes he's got to get out of the situation. He tries to zigzag through the house. He's tossing furniture at the shooter, trying to, you know, prevent him from catching up with him and distract him and not be a straight target, essentially. And he manages to nab the phone off of the kitchen table and runs out the back of the house. Okay, so he's shot three times running through his home. He starts running through the yard and he's hit again in his arm, which he said totally like in a cartoon, you know, way, just spins him around, making him fall on the ground. And he picks himself back up and he keeps running and he's shot in the back two more times. So after he kind of explains the events of that afternoon or morning, whatever, he gives the description of the shooter, um, just like Elizabeth did. He said, you know, the guy was wearing all black, flames on his shirt, you know, all the same things. And he was like, yeah, he was this, you know, big Hispanic guy and all this stuff. And the cops pause and they're like, well, wait, how do you know he's Hispanic? And Al says, well, because I saw him. He, he wasn't wearing a mask. I could tell what his skin tone and, you know, what his skin tone was and what ethnicity he probably was. And this is when, you know, Texas Rangers, they kind of come in and they realize, okay, we've got a problem because Elizabeth said he was wearing a mask. So red flag, whatever. Uh, So they approach Elizabeth and they're like, hey, girl, you know, we've got some inconsistencies that we need to work out. So you want to, you know, maybe take a polygraph. So she agrees to take the polygraph, but is kind of yanking their chain a bit and giving them the runaround with meeting up and taking this actual polygraph and then you know, not cooperating fully, kind of postponing every chance she gets. And then when they finally get a hold of her, lo and behold, she's hired a lawyer. Okay, so she sits down with the Texas Rangers and her lawyer and begins to recant a little bit. Um, She said that the guy actually didn't have a mask on. Instead, she says, oh, well, he had a black hat on and that he didn't actually just jump out of the car at full speed, but rather he got out at a light but definitely made sure to threaten her life before doing so. And she said she was basically just so scared for her life, which is why she lied. And, you know, I can kind of, I don't know, I maybe it's a little believable, but the cops totally buy it, okay? They just are like, yeah, sure, totally understandable. Um, we're so sorry, you're a victim, blah, blah, blah. So fast forward a month after this conversation with the Texas Rangers, Al's description, Elizabeth's description, she recants all that bullshit, okay? Al returns home. He's out of the hospital, okay? And Elizabeth is his caretaker. And they even kind of managed to rekindle their romance a little bit after him being gone. She wasn't really allowed to visit him in the hospital too much, evidently, because she wasn't technically family. He's a police officer. There's rules. I don't know, whatever. 
Um, so they kind of, you know, get back into the romance vibes. Um, you know, it's, it's a pretty hard time, the stress, the recovery, all that stuff. So it's kind of, they're ready to go on a trip together. They want to go on vacation. They want to have some fun couple time. They decide to plan a trip to Las Vegas once Al's all healed up and they are out in Vegas driving around the strip, having fun. And, you know, as you do, the uh, topic of marriage comes up and you're just, you know, you're shithoused in Vegas. Why not, right? They get in a huge fight about their relationship and their future. And, you know, Al's just like, look, I'm not ready to do this. I'm not ready to get married again. And Elizabeth is pissed. She's like, I've been taking care of you this whole time. I want to get married. I love you. And I deserve this. And, you know, how could you just, you know, pull me around and lead me on and blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, I had a shitty first marriage. Why do I want to do this again? So they go back to Texas, basically calling it quits. Um, By now, you know, a little bit further down the line after the Vegas trip, their relationship has, you know, consistently been off and on for almost three years. And after the Vegas thing, they take some time apart. But uh, once again, Elizabeth tries to kind of win Al back over and um, invites him over to her house for dinner to try and reconcile after the whole marriage fiasco disaster. She makes um, she makes spaghetti. There's wine. You know, it's really nice and cordial. It's a really kind of lovely evening. No arguing, just, a, you know, friendly conversation, catching up, whatever. However, on the drive home, what do you know? Al starts getting sick. He pulls over on the side of the road, violently throwing up. He ends up back in the ER, passing out, and he says that he actually flatlined over 11 times. Okay, so his stomach is fucked. Al is soon stabilized, though, um, but everyone's really concerned because they thought maybe he had an infection in his colon or his intestine from his surgeries prior and from, you know, his injuries from the shooting. So, you know, his stomach contents, they weren't even tested to see if foul play was involved, if it was a virus, if it was, you know, casual 24-hour flu, what the fuck ever. They just thought, oh, my God, you know, we got to make sure that his organs are okay. So, you know, that's all super normal and everything's fine, whatever, right? However, in another incident not too long after his release from the spaghetti night gone wrong, um, Al and Elizabeth are out to dinner yet again, and um, Al orders a fish plate, which I don't know what that means exactly, but whatever. But after having dinner with her once more, he begins to get fucking sick. He has actually, he had to have one of his students that he was obviously teaching at school come and drive him to the hospital because Elizabeth like dipped from the restaurant, evidently. Like the details I'm not 100% certain of if she just like vanished or if she was like, I'll go get the car and never came back or I don't even know. But he had to have a student come because he couldn't drive. He was that ill. Um, This time the doctor wasn't fucking around and he was like, hey, dude. Um, you're being poisoned with uh, strychnine, a.k.a. rat poison. Like, this isn't from your injuries, from the shooting, no infection. You are actively being poisoned, FYI. So at this point, police are like, okay, Elizabeth's statements aren't adding up. Al's been hospitalized twice after eating a meal with her, and this whole cartel lead thing isn't panning out. So they decide to finally get smart and realize that, oh, she's like clearly um, guilty as fuck, and they subpoena her phone records. They find out she's been talking to someone in Bishop, Texas, which is kind of right in the middle between Kingsville and Corpus Christi, um, every day, sometimes two to three times a day for several 
several months leading up to Al's shooting, okay? One of the calls actually, in fact, was early in the morning, the day of the shooting at 6.17 a.m. And the number is registered to a man named Francisco Perez. He looks just like the shooter as described by Elizabeth and Al. Um, and Al even picked him up out of a photo lineup. And they literally, he said, they showed up with this piece of paper at my house and I signed it in, standing in my yard. I was like, yeah, that's the fucking guy. 100% certain that that was him. They bring Francisco down to the police station. They talk to him about the evidence and the phone calls, etc. They actually even find his, um, they find a shirt with flames on it ditched outside in some field, but there was no hair, there's no DNA on it, so nothing really came of it, but it was big enough to fit this guy, essentially. So whatever. They managed to do even a financial investigation along with the phone records to see if maybe they can find some life insurance payments or something that she was paying for on Al so she would, you know, benefit from his death in some way. But instead, they actually find multiple checks from Elizabeth's bank account written to Francisco, including one made out for $2,000 written out the very next day after the shooting. Like the, the picture, the crime or not crime scene photo, the evidence photo was shown on one of the shows. And it's like, God, people are dumb, um, including myself. At this point, he kind of gives up and Francisco starts talking, okay? Frankie claims that he's known Elizabeth for a couple of years and actually met her back when Al and her were kind of having some issues in their relationship. Um, he said one day he like helped her fix her car when she was like broken down on the road and they exchanged information and they kind of just started hanging out after that. And, um, you know, she was seeing him on the side a little bit, but Frankie wanted something more. But Elizabeth was definitely stringing him along because, you know, despite she now being on the rocks, she was still most definitely, you know, in love with him. So she lies to Frankie and says, hey, I can't be with you until Al is gone. She said that Al was abusive and that if Al, uh, sorry, if Frankie killed Al, then she could be free to finally date Frankie, that he was, you know, beating her and just a horrible boyfriend, but she couldn't escape and she didn't know what to do. And so she was like, hey, if you kill my current boyfriend, I'll be your new girlfriend. So after Frankie kind of divulges all of this information to the police, um, Elizabeth and he are arrested. Um, she immediately hires a lawyer, doesn't want to cooperate, but they're both charged with capital murder. Um, and this is the real story of what happened on August 9th, 2003. So the night before the shooting, Al had gone out to dinner with some coworkers and he even says that Elizabeth was known for just like showing up at his house, like unannounced with like a pizza or a whatever, kind of like very stalker vibes, tendencies, all that stuff of like, Hey, I love you so much. I'm here. And he's just like, what the hell? But okay. I like pizza. Anyway, he comes home. She's like standing in the driveway and was like, hey, Al, how's how was dinner? And he was just like, what the fuck? Like, I never told her I was going to dinner. Like, they're not really speaking. Obviously, she's tried to poison him twice. You know what I mean? Like, they're not on talking terms. But basically, she invites herself in after just full on stalking him that night. They argue and they talk as usual. And you know, they're trying to talk about the relationship and he's just like, I'm so over this. It's late. I got to be up early in the next morning. Just I'm going to be a nice guy. I'll let you stay. Sleep on the couch. Good night. The next morning, Elizabeth wakes up early, not alerting Al that she's gone. OK, Al gets up next and is preparing to leave for his trip to Laredo. He hears someone knock on the door and it's Elizabeth. He's yet again, you know, confused why she's back at his house 
after she had just slept over. He's just like, wait, what? How did you leave? And you're now you're here. I don't whatever. They're talking, etc. And then like she comes inside. They're talking kind of still confused, like whatever. And then this is when he hears the bang, bang, bang on the front door. He said through the whole shooting, though, he can distinctly remember seeing Elizabeth. This is the creepiest part of this whole story. Seeing Elizabeth standing in the hallway with her arms crossed, tapping her fucking foot, basically like, when the fuck is this guy going to die? You know, that impatient mom look, you know, like, oh, my God, this is actually why isn't he going down? It's believed that she let Francisco in the back door um, when this is you know, why the banging stopped on the front door after he opens it, shuts it, tries to barricade himself and the silence happens. And then Al was shot in the, you know, the first three times he was shot was in the back, which is because she let Francisco through the back door to kind of sneak attack Al. Um, there was no financial motivation for Elizabeth there. You know, like I said, there was no uh, they couldn't find any uh, life insurance, anything like that. Her motive was literally just anger. She didn't want anyone to have him if she couldn't, that kind of classic mindset. And basically the story is, is that, you know, after that conversation the night prior didn't go her way, she gets up, she goes and picks up Frankie, brings him back to the house, waits for, you know, Al to let her in to then you know, have Frankie try and kill him. And then they think he's been shot. They think he's dying and bleeding out from six gunshot wounds, you know, and the whole um, escape plan was to make it look like she was kidnapped. And, you know, she's a victim as well. And then to just pop back up and no one is, you know, none the wiser because they think that Al has died, but her plan didn't quite work out. So she tricked Frankie into, you know, attempting at least to kill Al. And when that didn't work, she tried to poison him twice. (laughs) This guy is indestructible. So Frankie was sentenced to 60 years in prison for attempted murder. And Elizabeth was sentenced to life in prison for criminal solicitation and is being held at the Christina Melton Crane unit and is eligible for parole in 2035. Thank you again for listening to another Survivor Story. And as always, Cassie and I will be back at some point with more Texas true crime. And if anyone's listening, happy Halloween.